I am Jennifer Zeman, the host of The Food That Binds. Today I'm joined by Chef Todd Ginsberg, one of the co-owners of Rye Restaurants, which was responsible for Atlanta restaurants, The General Muir, Yala, Woods Chapel Barbecue, and the newly opened Dirty Rascal, a red sauce Italian joint in Buckhead. Hi, Todd. Thanks for being here. Hey, Jen. How are you? Good. Could you introduce yourself to listeners who may not know who you are? I'd be happy to. My name is Todd Ginsburg. I am uh, Nijar Ginsburg's husband, Liam Ginsburg's dad. Uh, I'm a son, brother. I also am chef partner of the General Muir at Emory and the one at Sandy Springs. I am chef partner of Fred's Meat and Bread at Crog Street, Yala at Crog Street, Shortstop at Crog Street. Woods Chapel Barbecue in Summer Hill, um, TGM Bread, uh, which is our bakery. And I am also a chef partner at uh, Dirty Rascal at the Thompson Hotel. Which just opened in Buckhead. Which just opened in Buckhead January 5th. So we'll get to, you know, present day later on, but let, let's let's rewind a little. Um, going back, was there somebody in your life who instilled a love of food in you? Yeah, you know, it, it, it there is definitely someone that's instilled a love of food for me, uh, but it happened a lot later on than most, I think, especially the people that get in this business. It actually happened um, while I was a cook, while I was a chef. Um, I loved cooking. Uh, I loved cooking really great food. Um, but I think for a long time, for at least a, my first few years from after graduating culinary school uh, up until after working with Joelle at the dining room. So about 2002, 2003, um, I was cooking because I loved to cook. I was cooking because it was my job and that's what I wanted to do. I was, I was good at it. And But I don't really think I had a love for food up until uh, I was introduced to cooking at home uh, for friends and for family and for myself. Uh, and that was Jay Moskowitz. Um, my mom definitely made food for us at the, at the table. Uh, we had dinner every night together as a family, whether it be out, well, whether it be we went out for dinner or we had dinner, you know, probably five, six days of the week at, at the house. But, you know, the table was always very important to me. But I really became in love with food and wine uh, after I met Jay. And who is Jay Moskowitz? Jay um, is someone that I met at the line at Harry's. Uh, oh, my God. Farm, Harry's. Harry's. Wow. Farmers Market. Back in 2001. Taking me back. Right? Harry's in a hurry. Wow. Harry's in a hurry. I loved, I lived off of Harry's in a hurry, man. Yeah. Okay. So I was cooking uh, as a chef at Asher in Roswell, and I would do all of the shopping basically um, for the restaurant at Harry's every day. I would leave, I'd go out there in the morning. Uh, Drew Van Leuven was a sous chef for me and, you know, fellow line cook with me. Basically, I was a cuisine, but I beat him to the punch by like two weeks. Otherwise, he would have been the chef easily and I would have been his cook. Um, but we definitely learned from each other a lot. Um, and Jeremy Miller, I don't know if you know Jeremy or not, mm -hmm. but Jeremy was also a stage for us and ended up cooking for us and then became my roommate and my little brother uh, back there. Um, but I met him there and Jay is a businessman. Uh, 
Uh, he owned a restaurant 30, 40, 50 years ago or something like that in New York long before, you know, uh, I ever knew him, um, or his wife knew him even like he was just doing it lasted a few years. Uh, he's a music, he was a music producer, uh, traveler, you know, gourmet. Um, but he basically taught me how to cook for how to enjoy cooking for family and friends. So every night I would go over there he would say, all right, what are we cooking tonight? And he had like, it wasn't, it wasn't, the question wasn't, do you have, it was, where is it in his kitchen? Like you just, after a while, you just stopped asking, do you have, it was just like, where is, where is this? Like he had everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and he just taught me to just really love to cook for food, cook to cook food for friends and family. And that, you know, that's something that Nijar, my wife and I still do with Liam and our friends and family and for Jay and Aideen. But how do you fall in? Like, how do you, become a cook without being in love with food yeah like how do you fall into that you know like right. like you just would cook and people were like like it's like the same as like oh you're a good plumber like you should like do this was it like that it was ex it was exactly like that i was in norfolk virginia going mm -hmm. to old dominion university okay. i was taking a semester off mm -hmm. i was waiting tables at il giardino which has a later tie-in to dirty rascal okay. uh, but i was waiting tables at il giardino uh Back in Virginia Beach, it was called Il G's. And Virginia Beach, wow. Virginia I Beach. went there once for a rave, which is okay. another story. Okay. It's another story. I could see a rave happening there easily. Easily. The, yeah. But this was a New York style Italian restaurant. Mm -hmm. And I would watch the cooks in my spare time cook this food. I would go home. And at the time, I was dating a girl and I cooked for her and her mom. And her mom said to me, Have you ever thought about going to coloring school? And I, up until that point, I had never given any thought. But what I did know is I was so confused and not happy at college. And within a few months, I was enrolled at CIA. And so you got to keep in mind, like everything happened real fast for me. Someone said it to me. I did it, which is basically the way I kind of live life is, it's, you know, it gets in my mind. I just do it mm -hmm. um, to kind of so I don't forget about it. Mm -hmm. And I did it. And what I found was I was really good at cooking. I really... I had no cooking experience when I went to CIA, but I, I was also as good as anybody in the, in the, in the school. I wasn't saying much, but I, I knew that I could do this and I knew I liked it. And I knew it was, a, it was, it was part of the restaurant business, which I loved. It was fast. It was furious. It was rewarding. Um, you know, it was, it was very family-like at the end of the night. Like you, you would have your drinks with your, it was a great way to grow up at 23, 24 years old. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I didn't know really what food meant to people. I didn't really know what breaking bread was at 24, 25. But when I met Jay at 27 or 28 years old, that's when I began to really live, to live to eat. How old are you, know, you now? 47. So, I mean, because like, it's just so interesting to me because like when I just think about all of the food, well, all of the dishes that have made you um, like such a household name in Atlanta, they're all like such comforting dishes, you mm -hmm. know, like, so it's like very like connected to like food and love. So it's, it's just very interesting that that was not a, uh, you know, thing for you to begin with. Because most of the people I talk to, they're like, you know. Oh, it was my nonna, you know, she was teaching me to make the gnocchi, you know, and I remember and she like smacked me on the head, you know, or like whatever, <laughs> you know, but it's just interesting just as someone who's known you and been watching your career since, you know, a while. <laughs> I, I know what I really like to cook 
and I want to cook things that make people happy and that pull on people's nostalgic heartstrings. Right. I want to like, I want to connect with people. And I don't think putting art on a plate all the time is connecting with people. It's interesting though, because you're also very ballsy because like you attack quintessential dishes, right? Cheese steak, burger, bagel, you know, falafel. These are all like things that like people have emotional benchmarks already, you know, ingrained. But I mean, you just, you do do it so well. Like you always get it right. Um, why do you think that is? When I first like got to know you and, and developed a friendship with you through a friend group rather than work, you know, you were working at Bocado. Um, and, and even then you had created this burger, you know, that all of Atlanta knew was Atlanta's best burger. Like there was like, like, or, you know, at least like some people had Holman loyalties at the time because it was the burger wars, all of that stuff, the double stacks were, you know, prevalent. Um, but like you always had chops. Like I remember we used to joke that like you were cooking in New York, I think at Essex House or something like that. And I was eating there and it was like, well, who was it again? Alain Ducasse. Alain Ducasse, right. So you have a very like, you know, fine dining background. So for me, it was always like a really fascinating jump for me that you went from, if you don't know what Alain Ducasse is, it's like fine dining, like there's a bread sommelier, you know, they give you like baked goods to go home the next day. I mean, he's considered a master. But then you take that knowledge and implement it with these quintessential American dishes. Why do you think you were able to do it so well? Is it something special about you as a chef? Is it technique? It's a little bit of everything, I guess. Um, my, I've always had a pretty decent food memory. Um, and I, I, I can really remember, I don't have a lot of memories as a kid, um, like after before nine years old or 10 years old, for some reason, I just don't. Um, but I remember almost every dish I had afterwards. Like I remember the flavors. I remember the smells. Like I can walk into certain people's homes or kitchens or my home. Uh, and it, the, the smells will like literally, and I'm sure every, I'm sure many people are like this, but it will literally transform me back to that time. Um, so I think growing up eating hamburgers, growing up eating the bagels, growing up eating the pastrami, not because I love food at that time, but because I remember exactly the way it tasted back then. Um, Do you have like a photographic taste memory? I don't know if, I don't know if I would go that far, but I, but I would say that I can remember uh, the way foods taste for, for a long time and dishes I had with people um, more so than conversations uh, more so than a lot of things in my life. Um, and I don't know why, um, but that's just part of like, you know, who I am as my DNA. Um, but then learning from Alain Ducasse and learning from Joel, learning from, you know, going to culinary school and trying to figure out, break things down into their simplest form. Um, let me, an advantage to doing some of these classic dishes, uh, hopefully better than other people have done before. My, 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 my goal is, is to make the pastrami and to make the meatballs and to make the bagel <clears throat> better than people remember them having them at any point, at any point in their life. That's my, that's my goal, you know, and it starts with really great ingredients, which I learned from Alain Ducasse. Like you got to start with great ingredients, uh, the pastrami and corned beef and the bagel all made with, you know, it was made with good bread. Like we you just start the biggest, the, the biggest part and you try and make it yourself. Right. Um, 
So that's what I just try to do. I really, I, I've had fun doing that in my career. Like I've had fun making things that people have had a million times and trying to make them better. And I know it, like when I did the Mikado burger, it was the last thing I did on that menu. Cause I was, it was the most terrifying, you know, one of the things that terrifies me the most right now is pizza. Like I have been, I've, I've like sent out resumes, like to like a couple of people in town, like asking them if I could like just sign an NDA and just like learn how to make pizza because <laughs> it terrifies me. Like I, I don't want them to think like I'm going to go open a pizza restaurant. I just want to learn how to make it. Yeah. No. You know, um, and I've gotten shot down everywhere, <laughs> but whatever. <it's> <laughs> because they're scared. Cause they know, um, cause they well, know that the you're going to like, that was never... the MDA part. right. Right. That you're not going to do anything. But my wife did buy me for my birthday an, an uni, Keru. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so I've been learning how to make pizzas myself. And uh, I was right to be scared. They're like incredibly uh, not forgiving. Like you have to be, you have to know, you have to be so dialed into like temperature and the everything fire else. Is the, I had a wood fire pizza at my last home and uh, oven that I built. And it Four. was, I mean, like it's really learning how to control that fire. It took me probably two years before I understood like to cook a pizza and still it's like, it's a lot of effort. Like you have to have a passion for it. You know, you really do. But I understand I have like a bucket list. Like I made a Victoria sponge yesterday because I never had, and I'd always wanted to, I just, I'd always seen it. So I was like, I want to make it. Just want to know. So I get it. But, um, do you, so like, how did you go from, I mean, when I met you, you were a chef, you know, like, how did you go from chef to restaurateur? Was it, was it, you know, now you have, like so many concepts, you know, under the umbrella rye restaurants, right? Yes. Um, I mean, and I, I have to imagine that this had to do with the relationship with your partners, how they were able, because I mean, they had, you know, they had a lot of experience as operators, right? So, I mean, like, was that, was the partnership what enabled you to really, you know, jump creatively and, you know, because you're such a good ideas person, like, you know, and go to this. Now you're at this point. I mean, I don't know how long I've known you now. If your son is 10, then God, it's been a minute, you know. Um, like, how did you make the jump from chef to restaurant tour? Like, when did this become like, I mean, you do have a mini empire now. <laughs> as far as Atlanta restaurant tours go. Yeah, well, I, I guess, well, it was definitely when I was at Bacado. I kind of made a decision at that time um, that I wanted to do something on my own um, because I was putting all my, you know, I was working there six days a week and I was putting a lot of effort into it. And I wanted to do something other than just get a salary. I wanted to like, you know, have my name on the front door, so to speak. I, and I, I truly did. Well, you had to also like not to sound corny, but like your star had risen and it was time to monetize it. And, you know, you had a kid coming so like obviously that's what you do as a good jewish boy yeah. you know <laughs> you know well you know uh, jay's wife uh, nadine who we were just talking about a moment ago about people who inspired me about food uh nadine said to me you know i turned 40 she's like the 40s is is the best decade you know the 20s is you're just you're too dumb 30s is you're just starting to learn 40s you know everything that you're gonna know and it's the time to strike the iron uh, and then fifties, you start to, you start to forget some stuff, you know? And, uh, so when I, when she told me that I wanted to make that best of that decade, um, and I, I still am, you know, I, I'm, I'm 47. I still have a couple more years and I still want to like, really, and I'm going to try and pound it into my fifties for sure. But going back to what your question was, what was your question? 
<laughs> no, I'm, I'm um, yeah, you know, so I hear, actually, I hear your fifties are for making real money. Like well, that's how you make real money too. You know, PS, you know, yeah. it's all, it's all the foundations there, you know, yeah. and the, and maybe forgetting's a bit of a blessing. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. So my partners had saw a, a story that the Ford, uh, wrote about me, uh, out of New York, that creative loafing syndicated down here asking me what I wanted to do. And I, I had a conversation with my dad and he said, what do you, you know, my dad said, what do you want to do? I said, well, I don't know. He's like, well, open a deli, you know, you'll have better hours. You know, that was a complete lie. He, he had no idea what he was talking about. Uh, but I, but I did, after I gave him some thought, I wanted to open a deli. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, that was my five-year goal. Well, my partners read that. They contacted me because they too also wanted to open a deli. They at the time had the West Egg. Um, and before that, uh, I think the West Eggs actually just went on its 15 year anniversary. Mm-hmm. And before that, they were both attorneys. So they contacted me. Um, and then the four of us kind of came together. Shelly Sweet, Ben Johnson, Jennifer Johnson, and myself. We opened up the General Muir. We all had a lot of experience in the restaurant business. Um, and at that point, the General Muir was doing really well. We, you actually, believe it or not, were the catalyst, if you don't remember, for Fred's and Yala. You reached out to me and asked me about Krog Street Market. That's and- right. I was merchandising Krog at the yeah, time with right. George Banks when that's he exactly was working right. there. Yeah. yeah I- they asked me, what are your favorite, who are your favorite chefs? And I was like, here's a list. Well, at that point, they contacted us and we had an idea of what we wanted to do with Fred's. Um, it was going to be a burger restaurant. But then the idea came to me is like, hey, and I talked to my partners, like, why don't we do classic American sandwiches? And that stuck. And then Jen and Shelly saw that the space next to Fred's was available. And they're like, well, why don't we do an Israeli restaurant? And I said, yeah, can you guys send, can we send me to Israel? <laughs> Just a trip, you know, get a trip to Israel. Let's do it. I'm ready. I mean, real talk, you have to. You know, if you're going to open, if you're going to open something, if, if, if you're saying it is X restaurant, then, you know, you need to go to X country. There's been people that have opened French restaurants in Atlanta and never been to France, like to do reconnaissance and, you know, you know, it's funny that you say that because one of the questions was, did you recently that I had was, did you go to Italy to learn (laughs) for your honeymoon? (laughs) Right. And I'm like, yeah. my honeymoon but it, for this restaurant i went to new york city to learn american right. italian food right. but uh i know i definitely picked up a lot of stuff in italy for dirty rascal but it was more it was kind of more on the service end of things mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. um italians really it's, oh, it's 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 a love language italian service and french and mexican you know there's so many love languages in service but you have to get it to to get it. Yeah. You know, I, the French are, I think the masters of service, but they do it with such pomp and circumstance that it's hard to really just relax. Whereas the Italians, they do it with a smile and they do it with like just uh, an amount of love that they want to give to you with, that I found was just incredible. Like I, I worked in French restaurants in France uh, with, and, and in the States with a lot of French. And then I went to Italy a couple of times and I really understood the difference. Like the Italians just really just want to take care of you. Like it's very, it's very family oriented when they, when they're taking care of you, the French do it because they love uh, food. and they, they, it's a But also it's like rules and structure and civilized in France. It's like, it's like expected, you know, like the customer expects it 
and and the and the operator you know expects the customer to understand the language which is why i think it can sometimes come off as rude because it's just how it's just built into the culture right um that's right that makes that makes a lot of sense that's just my interpretation yeah and in italy they do it because they grew up with it mm-hmm. you know and it's just mm-hmm. beautiful but um anyways so going back to uh, just opening up restaurants was it was these all these restaurants i think at the time were stuff that was vacant in the market also mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and they presented themselves to us so you know i don't think with the exception of the original general mirror uh oh that also was a there was i thought there was a we also there was, there was a, a huge d- yeah. d- yes that was a huge yeah. i'm sorry like people can say but what about this but what about this but like there was no really good in my opinion like jewish deli since snack and shop closed but just like going to your restaurants, like like you said, like you do a lot of quintessential American concepts and, um, you know, like barbecue even, and, and you do your spin. Your 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 latest concept is Italian American, as you said, um, and it seems like it's your most ambitious service project to date, given the location and the concept um it it feels to me please please correct me if i'm wrong but kind of like atlanta's you know like answer to don angie carbone reyes like we didn't have like a upscale red sauce italian correct that's exactly what i was was going for okay okay it's definitely the most ambitious um Mm -hmm. and people ask me like you know why why american italian you know how does a new jersey jewish kid uh, have experience with italian food and for those that are not well, jewish anybody that asks that doesn't that does the question's nonsensical that's exactly <laughs> right the, i was i tell them new jersey jews and for that matter miami jews yeah, i was about they, to say why do you think there's so many italian american restaurants in miami <laughs> like or even south florida boca is like a enclave what did we grow up eating? We grew up eating deli. We grew mm-hmm. up eating Jewish food, you know, like Chinese. Eastern European, mm-hmm. Chinese, and American mm-hmm. Italian food. Mm-hmm. That, that mm-hmm. was our diet. My mom mm-hmm. made lasagna, yeah. brisket, chicken pizza. parmesan, pizza. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. So, but on top of that, I also had experience with Ville Giardino. And that was really the restaurant that kind of started me. Uh, that was the last restaurant I worked in for five years front of house experience before I went to culinary school to be a chef. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I had a lot of love for that restaurant, still do. Um, and I wanted to do American Italian. Uh, Thompson approached me two and a half, three years ago and asked me what type of restaurant would you do at a hotel in uh, Atlanta? And I had, you know, I had just experienced Carbone's probably for the first time within the last year or two. And, you know, what a, I mean, those guys are masters. Those guys are just absolutely incredible with whatever they do. I just ate at the Vegas one in December, just as good totally different feel just as good and then i ate at parm this month when i was in new york visiting my parents with my kid and had their rigatoni there and it was just as good i mean i don't know um they are real masters but i mean for you you have always opened like like we're talking about burgers sandwiches bagels barbecue like these are utilitarian things that were holes in the market here that we needed maybe not barbecue wasn't a hole but i mean i can understand wanting to do your spin since you've been in atlanta so long um but like this is a big jump for you 
Like, you know, I've known you through jumps. This is like feels like a really big jump for you. And especially right now, given staffing shortages and everything to open such a uh, a concept that requires such synchronicity between front and back of the house. Um, has it been challenging, more challenging than you anticipated uh, given COVID? I think it's definitely been more challenging um, from the front of the house and back of the house standpoint, staffing period. Uh, you know, you have a lot of ambition. You have a lot of ideas or, you know, I, when I say you, I mean, I had a lot of ideas mm-hmm. and ambition coming into this restaurant, but you can't do everything right away. Um, your staff has to get trained up. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to, you have to understand the market, but I had, you know, a lot of fine dining background experience. Uh, the first, you know, five or six years of my cooking career were all in, you know, Michelin three-star restaurants. So I understand front of the house. I also have five years of serving experience. So, you know, I'm an owner. So I, I really understand what it is that we want to achieve. It's not going to happen today or tomorrow, but it's going to happen. And it's going to happen when the staff's been there long enough. The customers know what they want. The back of the house is sinking. The front of the house is sinking it's just going to take time. You know, it's just the labor market's really treacherous right now. And we're just doing the best we can with the staff that we have and the staff that we have are doing a great job. They really are. Like I'm, I'm very proud to be a part of it. One of the reasons also why, you know, Rye and myself wanted to do this restaurant was because of the Thompson. They have a huge support team. You know, they have a food and beverage operator. They have a food and beverage assistant. They have a general manager of the restaurant. They have assistant managers, um, they also have people from the outside that come in to help out, you know, so there's a lot of support there. Um, but I had an incredible time researching this food, cooking this food, developing these recipe with Josh Hopkins, who's a friend and someone that a I horse. admire. A, a horse, total horse. Right. Love Josh. Uh, we also got a great chef de cuisine for the restaurant, um, out of LA, Anthony, uh, who's doing a great job. He started a few weeks ago with us. You know, and I also developed the wine list. So I have, you know, a lot of wine experience in my background. So I had a lot of fun with this restaurant and still am. Um, and we're going to, we're going to be, we're going to be a great American Italian restaurant. We already are, we already are a very good one and we will be great. It's just going to, it's just going to take a little time to get everything synced up. Yeah. I'm, there's no ulterior messaging. I have not been yet. And, you know, I'm trying to take, wait. Take your time. Take your time. I, <laughs> <laughs> please you know, i can relax. cut that out so listeners don't but um but but no i mean just i'm not like saying like oh how could you do this but like um one of the things that i've been saying with my guests you know this this podcast came during COVID, so you know i've been exploring the restaurant industry as this happened which has been like you know adjusting for turbulence every single day but hospitality is inherently a contact sport Right. So when I'm asking you the challenges about the front of the house, like, like, can you still have the level of hospitality you would expect at such a restaurant pre COVID, post COVID, you know, during COVID, whatever you want to say, you know, I mean, do you find it's more difficult to give the kind of service that you want to give because of COVID? Um, Like not being able to get close and interact with people like, like I still like I went just now to Hawksmoor in uh, New York that just opened. It was fantastic. Going out of London. But, uh, yeah, and it was great. Beautiful room. Um, and they opened during COVID, and 
you know, that's one of the servers came to me masked, you know, with gloves and like squatted down like near me to like tell me about the cocktail menu. And inherently I kind of uh, uh, like in, intuitively I jumped, you know, I, I just wasn't used to being that close to someone. Well, that's what I mean when I say hospitality is a contact sport, you know, I mean, especially in these tight quarters that are restaurants, are you finding it difficult? Are you finding that the clientele is unfazed? Um, I, I, the honest answer is I, I can't use that. I don't want to use that as an excuse. I think there's an, there's always opportunities to do great hospitality service, right? hundred percent. Yeah. Um, I think you should, I think you should take into guests perception uh, to what is safe for them. Also the servers need to be doing the same thing for themselves and how they feel safe. But the truth of the matter is if you're dining in a restaurant and it's Friday night or Saturday night and it's completely booked and there's people waiting at the front and they're having drinks and people are eating to some degree, you're letting your guard down a little bit. And, you know, I think that you're there because you want to have fun. You want to eat. And that should be okay. You know, I'm, I'm not, I think that's great. You know, if people, if people feel comfortable doing that and they're, they've been responsible, um, if they're testing, if they are, you know, boosted and all the stuff that they need to be doing, you know, it's going to be, a, I think it's okay. I don't want to get into politics, but from a service point of view, that should not affect our hospitality in our restaurants, period. We are, we are masked. We are wearing gloves when we need to wear gloves. Restaurants have always been a safe place because they've always been concerned about people's health long before COVID. Um, and I just think that, you know, if people are there, it's because they want to eat and have fun and, you know, drink and be, be merry. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I mean, I just have to imagine, I don't know. I feel like some parts of this industry have been more negatively affected than others. Um, uh, given like Hannah Raskin just did that like breakdown of like restaurant industry workers in Georgia, like had, you know, how they'd been affected by COVID. It was like, I was shocked when I saw the numbers on like how many people had died in the restaurant industry. And it just, I just know, like I've heard horror stories on like customers being aggressive towards, you know, servers um, and, and servers not feeling like they could really do their job because they don't feel like, they're safe. You know, it's, it's, it's great to think about the customers, but it is very much in my opinion, a two way street. But I mean, for me, COVID has definitely affected me in a lot of ways. I recently had it, even though I'm boosted and I, um, you know, I did, I like to think I'm one of the people who followed the rules and like did what I was supposed to do. And I, it still found me. Cause as my friend, who's a doctor said, it's literally in the air. Um, but you know, it did for a while. I think now because I'm, you know, super immune or whatever for a few months, like it'll probably change the way like I feel about going to restaurants. Um, but it definitely made me scared to go eat out in restaurants for a while. Did it? Do you feel like COVID affected your relationship with restaurants or food overall? Yeah, it, of course it has. I mean, I don't think anybody has gone through this pandemic unaffected um, and their daily habits and the restaurant business and eating out at restaurants is my life. And, you know, I have, been, I have been affected personally. Um, and from a business side standpoint as well, for sure. And it hasn't been for the, none of it's been for the positive. Uh, it's always been, it's all been negative. Um, you know, I, 
I will not go to a busy restaurant on a Friday or Saturday night. If I want to go to a restaurant, it's be a five thirty, six o'clock, slower time, slower part of the week. Um, you know, if 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 I have food in the refrigerator and it's whether or not I want to make it, uh, and the choice is to go out to a restaurant or make food, I will make food now. As That's opposed how to I am too. <laughs> I just opposed- made like a hundred dumplings for Lunar New Year. Yeah, as opposed to before where I would probably just say, you know what, I'll just, I'll freeze it or I'll make something tomorrow morning or, you know, for dinner tomorrow. Uh, I will, I will make dinner that night for us, you know. Um, But yeah, it's affected us. But, you know, hopefully, you know, hopefully we're going to come out of this all stronger and uh, have a much more love for our community. And, you know, the support has been pretty, pretty awesome um, out there for our restaurants and for this community. That doesn't mean you know, it's a lot of restaurants that we have loved have closed uh, and are not coming back. And uh, I can't imagine any restaurant tour in this city right now. And probably the country is not scared of what the future brings still. Um, I know I am. Yeah. I, when I asked George Banks, um, who we discussed a little earlier, we were talking about Krog. Uh, he was the developer for Krog um, in an interview for this pod. What is the future of restaurants? He said algorithms. That was kind of terrifying to hear, you know, <laughs> like, because, you know, then you see like Chang's uh, Netflix show and he's talking about, you know, just all of these like ghost kitchens and just see, I, I mean, it feels both exciting to me because I love evolution and I love seeing how creativity and technology can intersect, but I just hope the people don't get negatively affected. Like even for me, during COVID, I leaned so hard on takeout. I felt guilty using insert whatever delivery service I was using that night because, you know, they fuck restaurateurs. So it's like become very hard to be an ethical consumer and still want to give back to this, I me, mean, this industry I care so much about. Um, but not to be, you know, too down in the dumps about it because I do feel like, like we're in a really great place right now. Um, I listened to Fauci speak yesterday and it really feels optimistic. Um, and that's nice to see, but I do think that we will be forever changed now. hundred mm-hmm. percent. Yeah. Um, we also got involved pre pandemic, but it's just come out of the, out of stealth mode mm-hmm. with stealth a delivery, mode. With a <laughs> delivery service. Um, for what? So there's a, there's a thing called wonder truck mm-hmm. uh, that Mark Laurie, um of diapers.com sold it to amazon and then he did jet.com uh that sold it to walmart there is basically um shipping service all the jets mm-hmm. and stuff <laughs> so he decided to do uh basically buy a bunch of restaurants to their to-go rights um part and and partner with their chefs and partner with the owners still to like collaborate and all that sort of stuff so we're still very much a part of it but uh, he basically bought like, you know, uh, 15 to 20 of the best restaurants in the country. Uh, DeFaro Pizza is a partner. Uh, Moza uh, out of L.A. Mm-hmm. Teos Chocolate uh, Barbecue out of San Antonio. Uh, Street Prop Pie out of Woodside, Queens. Fred's Meat and Bread out of Atlanta. Uh, and a few other Maidan out of D.C. Um, so we're all partners in this. And basically you, the restaurant is brought to your front door in a truck. And when you order it, they make the food outside in the truck and then deliver, to, deliver to your door hot. 
so I can have grinders and cheesesteaks delivered to my door. You know, you recently were married and went on oh. this fantastic honeymoon. You know, you have, you know, this new restaurant opening. Your son is doing well, it would seem, you know, yes. it is. So with, with your son, um, like, is he into food? Like, is it oh something God. that that connects you guys as father and son? I I feel very blessed that he is he loves food as much as we do, mm-hmm. uh, and he takes great offense to anything other than <laughs> he's a super eater. Uh, I know you. I know your daughter's the same way. Yes, um, I she, only ate pizza and burgers when I was her age, and she's light years ahead. Yeah, she yeah. likes Ikura Don, which I can. Yeah. No. He eats literally everything we cook. Um, he eats fish eyeballs. Like he will eat anything that you say you should try. Like mm-hmm. he's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, really loves, really loves pigeon or squab rather. Um, like you, you feed it to him and it, like he, he will, if he doesn't like it, he'll let you know. What's that uh, like for you? Like as a dad and as a chef, like that, the, like the food between you guys, like, has it been a connection point or is it just like natural? Uh, like for a, me, it's exciting to watch my daughter experience things I have grown accustomed to for the first time. Um, I don't know. I, I can't say, I don't think it's been a, I don't know. I I'm very proud and grateful that he loves food in all honesty. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I guess I'm just proud and grateful that he loves food, like that he's going to be a really good eater. And hopefully he'll remember me, uh, when I'm gone as somebody that really great cook, great food and introduce him to good food and that he'll bring that to his family. That's kind of, that's kind of all that I would want out of that relationship between the two of us. What is, what is like the number one thing he would ask you to make him like, what is his oh. favorite date? Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay ramen right. he, lo- he loves soup he's a freak about soup and he loves uh, ethnic foods if you were on a desert island and you had to eat one thing it could be like a spread for the rest of your mo- life like over and over and over it's groundhog's day it just appears like every morning what is it uh okay um it's definitely middle eastern food it's um some sort of like meat kofta like a like a kebab of ground lamb and beef uh, that's grilled uh, and then wrapped in some sort of like uh, bread that's re-grilled, stirred with like some sort of hummus, uh, a little bit of tomato, charred tomato, some uh, some pickles. And maybe uh, just just because it's just because it's part of the meal would also be maybe uh, some rice just to just keep myself nurtured. But definitely grilled meat, grilled bread and hummus nice. like, like and pickles. I could eat that. I could eat Middle Eastern food every day for my life of my life without a doubt. Yeah. yeah I crave it. I crave it every day. I, I, I think the question is like, what do you crave every day? And I crave that every day. I mean, when you opened Yala, you went to Israel and everything for a while. Didn't you to go like research? I did. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, so is there anything you would like to plug or any upcoming events or any like, you know, spiels that you want to give? Uh, yeah. So, um, obviously, you know, just support your local restaurants as best as you can right now. Um, try to order directly, go pick, go take a drive and pick up from them. Uh, because it, it's so hard sometimes I'm going to be honest. I know I'm speaking for people. Sometimes it's hard. Is there any way to do it ethically without going and picking it up? Well, so not re- get a friend to pick it up for you. So here's the deal. <laughs> Everybody knows this, Jen. Yes, but I know. I suck. Like the restaurant margins are 10 to 15% on a great year. 
Like if, if a restaurant's really, really good and got everything lined up, they may make between 10 and 15% profit. And that's a great restaurant doing great numbers. These delivery services, which serve their purposes, but if you, a restaurant could not literally survive alone because they take 30% of the profit of off the top. So what does that mean? That means basically a restaurant is giving 15 cents away for every dollar that they bring in if they're operating on a 15% margin. Mm-hmm. So um, just something to consider, uh, you know, if you can maybe balance it instead of getting it delivered every time, maybe go pick it up. You know, I've actually suggested my partners, like what if they ordered online or ordered through us and then came and we gave them a 15% discount, then we're breaking even as opposed to losing 15%. Like that's how bad it is. You know, oh my it's, God, it's, I it's feel terrible. I feel yeah. terrible, but I mean, I, I was literally petrified. Now I have no reason because you know, hashtag super immune with booster and sometimes you don't want to get off your tush and that's okay. Uh, but just realize that, you know, um, if you can, if you can balance it out, you know, instead of like a meatless Monday or in addition to meatless Monday, go pick it up Thursdays. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Hashtag pick it up on Thursdays. Exactly. Straight from Todd Ginsburg. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate your time. I know you're super busy. Um, Is there anything else you want to let listeners know? And definitely how can they find you on social? So ATL chef on Instagram, that's sort of the only platform I really use um, just because I love cataloging my pictures and love seeing other people's travels and all that sort of stuff. Um, but, you know, come try out Dirty Rascal. Come, you know, go back to the drum mirror. Try Woods Chapel if you want some good barbecue. There's no reason why people shouldn't be eating barbecue January and February. It's ridiculous. What is <laughs> the exact opposite? Like, people should be killing uh, barbecue on the colder months as opposed to just July. It feels like hot food. I don't know. Well, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for being here, Todd. Thanks, Jen. It's always good to talk to you and see you. Hopefully we'll see you at Dirty Rascal soon. Most stuff. I'm going to be there for that carbon style rigatoni. All right. Thanks. Well, that's this week's episode. Thank you to Todd for being here and thank you for listening. If you want to keep up with me, you can follow me at Jennifer Zeman or The Food That Binds on Instagram and Twitter. Next week, I'm joined by Sarah Pierre, the owner of Three Parks Wine in Atlanta, Georgia. Again, we'll be back next Sunday with Sarah Pierre. I'm your host, Jennifer Zeman of The Food That Binds. Thanks for listening.